today on Ag News Daily. On the feed mills specifically, so there are large um, manufacturing facilities where they're taken in multiple different ingredients, so whether that's corn, soybean meal, um, down to different types of calciums, uh, vitamins, minerals, right? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr on this Tuesday afternoon. Ashton, it is certainly shaping up to be a nice day again here in central Iowa. How about down there? You know, it's a pretty good day. I really haven't gotten out of the house much today. I'm not feeling too well. So I've honestly just been working from bed this morning. But from the looks of it, it's a little bit of a cloudy day here in Lubbock. I think we might be getting some rain either tomorrow or Thursday. But I'm going to keep my eye out on that because as we've talked about before, folks are gearing up for planting season, you know, specifically cotton down where I am. So hopefully some. I mean, we need rain, but hopefully it's not too much where it'll affect those who are trying to get ready for planting. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to get you out and about getting some footage of cotton planting. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I mean, we didn't really cover cotton planting too much. We did a little bit last summer, but I didn't really get in the fields too much. So maybe that's something that I need to look into this year. I think that sounds awesome, Ashton. I think that sounds awesome. But since we're talking about planting, we had the planting progress report come out yesterday afternoon. We shared this on our Twitter account, but I'll also run through those numbers really quickly here as well, uh, because we saw a pretty good jump in numbers of folks that were getting getting right along, moving right along here, I should say, with planting. We saw corn finish up at 17% planted yesterday, soybeans at just 8%, spring wheat coming in at 28%, and cotton now at 12%. So we are starting to see some folks get into the fields finally and get some of that stuff cleaned up and done. I know it, Delaney. I read through those numbers yesterday as well. You know, I'm typically not the one that's reporting on, you know, those reports that do come out from USDA, but I had to keep up. I'm trying to get more and more involved with that kind of stuff. I I might just be coming for your job. Who knows? (laughs) Well, I welcome the challenge. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm not going to challenge you too much. Uh, to be honest, I don't think I could do as good a job as you do. But moving right along here, I have some news myself. And we've been following this story for quite some time now concerning the biofuels industry, the EPA, and oil refineries. They have laid out their arguments to the U.S. Supreme Court on granting refinery exemption extensions under the RFS. Christopher Michael with the Department of Justice says refineries must consistently hold exemptions. He was quoted as saying, if a small refinery no longer has the exemption, it cannot obtain an extension. EPA cannot grant something that does not exist. This is the ordinary common sense meaning of the statutory text. The EPA, which is represented by the DOJ, agreed with a Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that only small refinery waivers who are continuously exempt from the ethanol blending requirements are eligible for future extensions. Peter Keisler, representing an oil refinery, says that extensions don't have to be continuous if a refinery is facing an economic hardship. 
He said that driving those small refineries out of the market would undermine the statute's energy and independence goals. And that's one of the reasons Congress authorized them to petition at any time based on hardships. A final ruling is going to be expected in June. So we're just going to have to continue to follow along with this development. Sounds like we certainly will, Ash. And another development uh, that's maybe a little concerning, but again, is new. So we don't know yet fully is a development going on right now out in Washington, D.C. Apparently, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack spent Monday denying that President Biden was making any efforts to reduce meat consumption in order to meet the new pledge that the U.S. has made to slash greenhouse gas emissions. He said, quote, there is no effort designated to limit people's intake of beef coming out of President Biden's White House or coming out of the USDA. He was quoted in several articles, including one uh, I'm reading here by AgriPulse. But it certainly does rise some question for concern because a lot of folks in the ag industry, their livelihoods are supported by meat consumption. And agriculture, unfortunately, has gotten the finger pointed at us a lot when folks are talking about being able to cut greenhouse gas emissions. I know the USDA has been working on a plan to cut it from an agricultural perspective, but we really need to see it cut in other areas, uh, first and foremost, I would think. So a little bit of concern there, but again, nothing pressing, nothing confirmed as of yet. Well, Delaney, folks are also concerned, you know, with Biden's 30 by 30 conservation plan. And one of those that are speaking out against it is the American Farm Bureau Federation. I said speaking out against it, maybe not speaking out against the plan, but really just wanting some clarity from the Biden administration on that 30 by 30 plan. Farm Bureau's Ryan Yates said that very little detail has been released since Biden announced the initiative back in January by executive order. Yates says that so far there are no details about how the government would move forward and that the executive order, of course, was signed back in January. And he said that the Interior Department has been working on a report, which we are expecting to be sent up to the White House any day now. So we are eagerly awaiting that report to learn more about what is in and what is out. Yates said that American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval sent a letter to President Biden asking for the details and for the ability to let the public comment on the plan. Farm Bureau also wants the government to recognize the conservation work already done by the people in agriculture. Yates was quoted as saying, today we have over 140 million acres of private land already enrolled in some sort of federal or non-federal conservation program, in addition to the 800 million acres of land that resides in the federal and state ownership. Farm Bureau says the federal government already has about 28% of U.S. land in federal ownership, plus states own another 8%. So we're not seeing too much movement on this plan. I mean, it was announced back in January, and again, we still haven't seen any details. So hopefully that report goes up to the White House any day now, like I said earlier, and we actually get some clarification because honestly, I'm a little bit confused as well. Yeah, I am as well, Ashton. One thing I'm not confused about, though, are prices that we saw here in China when it comes to their hog production. Hog prices fell in China about 12.5% during the first quarter of 2021 compared to a year ago, as we're continuing to see supply shortages caused by African swine fever. We talked about this yesterday, and I believe you talked about it last week a little bit on the podcast, but 
to help curb this impact, of course, we mentioned that they are going to split the nation into basically five regions. And again, the thought process behind this is that for those areas that produce a lot of pork, they're going to keep it local, which could temporarily push prices lower there. But in those areas that don't produce as much pork, they're hoping that by doing this, they can push those local prices higher and then in turn be able to reopen all the boundaries at a future date. But uh, WH Group, which is the world's largest pork processor, said that their pork sales volumes sales volume in China rose 7.5% in quarter one, uh, despite the fact that prices went the opposite way. So we're seeing just a really big glut of supply there in China as they're trying to get things ramped back up. They're having supply chain issues. It sounds like they just can't quite get it right. And so they are taking some pretty drastic measures to be able to control the prices there domestically. So interesting, uh, interesting little conundrum they're having, Ashton. It certainly sounds that way, Delaney, but another country that might be going into a conundrum is Bulgaria. We've talked a little bit about bird flu outbreaks going on earlier this year, and honestly, we haven't reported on any stories here lately, but Bulgaria has been the latest country that is going in culling some of their birds because of bird flu outbreaks. Bulgaria is set to cull 40,000 laying hens in the southern village of Trilistink after a bird flu outbreak has confirmed at an industrial farm, which is the sixth since the start of the year in Bulgaria. Some 160,000 ducks and 194 laying hens have been culled at five other farms in the Balkan country since February as authorities are trying to contain the spread of the disease. But just another country that has succumbed to bird flu outbreaks. It's honestly pretty upsetting, but I'm not exactly sure, you know, what those European countries can really do to contain the spread. I mean, it's not like you know, African swine fever. I mean, these birds can fly and basically go anywhere. These wild birds that are said to be spreading the the bird flu. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I don't know what else you can do to contain some of that. I mean, you can contain obviously your local poultry production, but if it gets into the wild population, I don't know what you do. You just shoot birds out of the sky. I guess so. I mean, I'm no veterinarian. I, I don't know what you would do in that situation, but it's definitely a concerning one. Yeah, it certainly is, Ashton. Well, Delaney, do you have other stories to tell today? Or are you ready to hop into the markets? Uh, I think besides talking markets, I'm not going to lie. I haven't paid a ton of attention to news today, but I was watching the markets pretty heavily today because we saw, we didn't see corn finish in a limit up position, but we saw it touch limit up again today. We also saw in the overnight session last night, heading into today, corn touched 720. Yes, seven with an, with a, uh, S in front of it. Uh, it's crazy to think that we were sitting at some of these prices not too long ago with soybean prices, but here we are flirting with $7 to finish out the day today. And we saw strength really all across the board when it comes to grain markets. So Ashton, here we go, kicking things off today. We saw things open up pretty positively and uh, couldn't quite follow through, especially in the soybean markets. But May corn today up 18 and a half cents to close at 699, closing just under $7. July down 
excuse me, let's skip to December here, down seven cents to close at 561 and a quarter. Soybeans today had a little turnaround Tuesday with the May contract down 20 and a half cents to close at 1548 and a half. The November down 21 and a half cents to close at 1340 and a half. Now in Chicago wheat, they also had a little bit of a turnaround today. The May contract up, or excuse me, down five and three quarters cents to close at 733 and a quarter. The July down six and three quarters cents to close at 732 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits, they had weakness today as the June live cattle contract shed 42 and a half cents to close at 115.85. The August down 65 cents to close at 117.30. And in feeder cattle, the weakness continued with the May contract shedding $1.40 to close at 135.87 and a half. The August down 22 and a half cents to close at 150.07 and a half. Now, lean hogs had some mixed trade today with the May contract up 55 cents to close at 109.80. The June down 17 and a half to close at 106.67 and a half. And lastly, wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. Mixed trade today with the May contract shedding 10 cents to end at 19.18. The June up a dime to end at 19.52. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we are talking to Brady Galswick about easy automation. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Brady Galswick, who is VP of Sales and Marketing at Easy Automation, Inc. Brady, thank you so much for joining us for this Tech Tuesday conversation. Yeah, Ashton, I appreciate you letting me be part of it. So, Brady, before we get down into the nitty-gritty of what Easy Automation is and the solutions that you guys provide, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you get to Easy Automation? Yeah, so um, my background actually goes back to the origins of Easy Automation. So I'm part of the second generation here on it. Um, but as as far as myself, you know, grew up in a farming community, helping out on the family's farm, as well as at Easy Automation, um, went to school for business. And then um, ended up um, joining my uncle's trucking company, again, in the agricultural field, and then ultimately joining my family's company here at uh, Easy Automation, where I work with a lot of the same uh, clientele in the agricultural world. So Easy Automation has um, a lot of solutions that you guys are providing your clients. So why don't we take a quick look at those? What are some of the solutions that you guys have? Sure. So overall, um, you know, I kind of like to think of us as the chef's brain. So if you will, for a feed mill or a fertilizer blending facility, um, we're, you know, they're mixing and blending. They're kind of the kitchen, if you will, for those animals or plant nutrients. And I like to think of us as the chef's brain as part of that. So what does that mean? That's the computer systems, the controls that determine, okay, what are my recipes or formulas is what we call them. How much are we going to add? How much liquids are we going to add? How long are we going to blend it? You know, if we're going to pellet it, how long are we going to cook it? Kind of the same idea as what a chef's brain is uh, thinking through as they mix and blend their different recipes for their customers. So you guys are essentially kind of creating and formulating these rations for your clients. You're working with them to do that. Um, Actually, kind of one step 
down the line, if you will. So they have the rest uh, formulas or recipes, I will. We're more involved in the actual manufacturing process. So they know what they want to be included in that formula. And we are actually controlling the equipment as well as providing some of the equipment that is doing that mixing and blending. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that little bit of clarification there, Brady. But moving on, kind of talking a little bit more about your feed mill automation. I don't think I've really heard too much about feed mill automation. So can you kind of give us a 10,000 foot look at what that specifically looks like at Easy Automation? Absolutely. So, you know, on the feed mill specifically, so there are large um, manufacturing facilities where they're taking in multiple different ingredients. So whether that's corn, soybean meal, um, down to different types of calciums, uh, vitamins, minerals, right? So all that comes in individually in uh, either bulk or packaged form. And then again, when it's the time to batch up that specific formula or recipe, our uh, automation is the ones that is turning on the different augers or opening the slide gates um, to measure out those precise amounts. So maybe that's they need 1,000 pounds of corn. It runs that auger to add that and weigh it out precisely. They need 500 pounds of soybean meal on and on um, through all the different ingredients from you know thousands of pounds inclusions to hundreds of pounds inclusions for those very uh, precise vitamins and minerals. So Brady, I'm interested to talk a little bit more about the feed yard and dairy aspect because a lot of these, I guess, smaller scale operations are doing their feed rations and mixing that stuff themselves. But oftentimes we have some of that loss, that nutrient loss, you know, when we're dealing with, I'm, I'm based here in Lubbock. So the wind kind of carries a lot of that away when we're trying to, you know, formulate these rations. So what would be you know, a benefit to these feed yards and dairies to start using easy automation to help with their nutrients. Absolutely. So specifically in the feed yard and and dairy market, you know, in the past, it's been commonplace to be, as you mentioned, you know, wide open um, areas, uh, doing a lot of mixing with with payloaders or skid loaders, um, where wind can definitely be an issue, you know, shrink in those type of facilities can even just a couple percentage saved can be hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not into the millions of dollars um, saved per year. So there's a, what we do in those times is have more of like a feed center, if you will, where again, kind of bringing it back to that kitchen aspect where the precise mixing, blending, handling of those ingredients is done in a little bit more of a controlled environment. And by doing that, we can one, reduce the shrink, but two, just as important is, you know, be more accurate with, uh, you know, finite scales, um, precision inclusion amounts, and not only how you're adding more precise amounts, but that you're recording those more precise amounts for tracking and tracing um, down the line as well. Brady, you said that special word shrink. I was looking for it somewhere in the back of my mind, trying to pull out my animal science minor and it just did not work this morning. So thank you for for saying that special word. Um, You know, I am more of an animal science kind of person or an animal ag person, not so much of a crop person. So is, do we see something similar to shrink in, you know, animal production as we would see in crop production and fertilizer? Um, you know, there definitely is still um, that aspect. There is still shrink um, percentage out there, not to the level of in the feed or animal production because of kind of the, the nature of both the ingredient properties, right? The 
uh, feed ingredients tend to blow around a little bit more as well as the um, area that they're handled in. So, um, you know, open feed lots where the wind's blowing it around, dusty product compared to fertilizers are, are more often in a, a building um, and a little heavier product so you don't blow around. But at, at the same time, definitely um, shrink is still a factor in both and something to be considered in your both facility design as well as how you incorporate automation and tracking and tracing as part of that. Gotcha. So I want to go ahead and talk about your feed mill management software. Can you kind of take us through what that looks like behind the scenes? Absolutely. So that's kind of what we consider our front office software. Um, So feed office enterprise, what that does is, you know, keeps track of of the formulas and um, the inventories, kind of the production planning, if you will, but also does a lot on the pricing aspect about it. So you have lots of different customers, some which might be a huge percentage of your business, some which might be a small percentage of your business, Um, lots of different formulas, lots of different um, types of contracts out there. Maybe some people are bringing their own grain for grain banking. Essentially, it's keeping track of all that, what we call it, the front office functions and making that whole process easier as as it relates to the pricing, again, the inventory, um, making POs, um, figuring out what you need to order, when you need to get more ingredients in, kind of that aspect of the business. So when clients come to Easy Automation and they want to set up a plan, are they able to customize and tailor that plan to whatever they're needing from you guys? Absolutely. So um, on the automation, as well as the software and equipment, essentially every area of our business, what we really pride ourselves in is the ability to custom tailor um, each solution, both by the needs as well as the price points for each facility. So a small, you know, on-farm type mill, um, has a certain set of needs and a certain budget at the same time, you know, the very large places with multiple feed mills and you know, thousands of customers, hundreds of different ingredients, they have their own set of unique needs. So we're able to scale up and down our systems, even though a lot of times the, the core of the system is, it's, is the same. It's just a matter of, you know, how many modules we turn on or off um, to custom tailor it to that solution. And Brady, I just have one last question for you before I let you go. And that is being, where can our listeners find you guys online if they are wanting to learn a little bit more about easy automation and maybe even set up a program with you guys? So potential customers or or future clients can find us at easyautomation.com. That's E-A-S-Y automation.com. Gives a high level overview of our controls, equipment, and software. Um, there's a click you can fill out for to contact us or um, the, our phone number is there. You know, you're actually probably talking directly to me if you called in as uh, vice president of sales and marketing. I try to um, you know talk to everybody, um, get a little bit of understanding of their each facility and what they're looking for. And then we can uh, you know have you talk to a, a specialist in your area. Awesome. Well, Brady, thank you again once more for talking to us about ED, easy automation today. Absolutely. Thanks, Ashton. Thanks again there to Brady for coming on and talking to us today. It was a little bit of a revamp on my animal science knowledge. I took a class about feedlot management. I guess it was last fall and I tried to throw in some keywords there, but couldn't think of them. So Brady really had to save me in there. Well, you get a little rusty, Ashton, when we don't uh, do 
some of the some, when we don't touch on some of the industries or the sectors of the industry, I should say. I know, but hopefully we won't have any other rusty moments for the rest of the week, folks. So you'll have to tune in to see at agnewsdaily.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.